0: Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman, thanks for listening. Uh, I love this guy. My guest today is a friend of mine. He is an amazing musical artist. He's a renowned songwriter and has written songs that you know for people like Kenny Chesney and Blake Sheldon. and, And you know, he wrote that lonesome song, Jamie Johnson, which is just one of my favorite Songs of the last 20 years and and also right where I need to be with Gary Allen and a ton of songs with Chris Stapleton That have been recorded by Chris and many other people He said it's by Jake Owen His new album, which is called come on sunshine will be out in a few weeks His last record had a track on it called uh, hard time with the truth That is another one of my favorite tracks and it's what made me really want to meet him We've written a bunch together and I just find Kendall and his life story really always inspiring. And he's just a great hang too. So uh Kendall Marvel, thanks for being here, man. Hey,
1: buddy, how are you?
0: You know, I'm good, man. I'm I'm hanging in there. How about you? You you uh you were playing last night? Did you have a gig last night and then you got on a plane to go home?
1: No, I played Saturday night up in Guilford, New Hampshire, and uh uh, I would rather have been playing, but I was stuck in Baltimore all evening at the at the airport. But I I made it home.
0: You, oh, you spent the whole night. What what happened? You just get planes canceled and stuff.
1: Yeah, it was just weather, wet, bad weather everywhere, and every connection wasn't making it. And yeah, so we uh we ended up just renting a hotel there close to the airport and waiting waiting for our flight. But we finally made it home.
0: Well, I'm glad you did, and uh, I know you're on a little sleep, so I'll I'll try to keep the question simple, though.
1: You know shoot, man.
0: That
1: was a great intro. I haven't had that much smoke blood up my ass this early in a long time. I kinda (laughs) like it.
0: Well, look, you know, it's funny. When a friend comes on the podcast, you know, I only have people on if I really love their work. And and I mean, from from when you and I first started communicating with each other, I've been really, you know, a lot of this podcast Kendall is about growth. And like your whole life story is really one of a kind of continued evolution in a very conscious way that most people never bother with. And so that's really, you know, what I, I want to get to talking about as we talk about the work and the craft. But sure. But first, I, I would love you to talk a little bit about your childhood, because I think there was the, a duality or maybe whatever the three time version of duality is where... There was this show business singing thing, but also a lot of like rigid thinking around your house and, and and a reaction to the world. And and just can you talk about your childhood a little bit about these all these influences that you were grappling with and and how music came to be so important to you?
1: Sure. Yeah, I had a pretty unorthodox uh, childhood. Uh, I grew up in a small town in southern Illinois, and uh, my dad was a coal miner. My uh, Mom, when I was young, she worked, uh, she was a construction worker on the, she held the signs on the highway. So they were both, you know, big union workers, uh, in the seventies and eighties. And, uh, we had, you know, we was, I guess considering, you know, looking back that we'd probably done okay, a pretty good middle-class family for the cost of living in that, in that area, but we never did feel like we had money or nothing, anything like that. But yeah, my dad was, uh. Interesting. I always said he's an interesting couple of fellas. He uh he partied hard. Uh still still gets after pretty good for a 75-year-old man. Yeah. But uh him and mom, uh, you know, they had a they had a uh, pretty rough marriage, I guess you could say. And uh, it was, you know, mainly to dad's doings. He was uh he ran, he was a biker, he ran hard and partied hard. Uh, he was a good dad, you know, but he he had some different ways of of teaching and different ways of thinking and which a lot, of, I didn't realize a lot of this ways he was thinking, you know, till I, till I got later in life and got out and seen some other things that wasn't really, uh, didn't line up with my views. You know, uh, it hasn't affected our relationship. Uh, you know, he's still my dad. I still love him, but, uh, we definitely see things in the, in the world different. And, uh, but yeah, he was the driving force behind my music. You know, he, uh, he started teaching me to play guitar at five years old. And, uh, he, uh, he would, I remember the first song he taught me was an old song called Tom Dooley. It was an old folk song. Hang down, hang down your head, Tom Dooley, hang, you know, uh, hang down your head and cry. You, you know, it's, it's a murder ballad. You killed somebody and poor boy, you bound to die. You know, that was, the, that was the first thing that, that he taught me and he would show me chords on a guitar and he would show them to me once. And, uh, if I wasn't paying attention, I got the switch on the stick on the fingers. you know he had a little little switch he would cut and he would uh, get my attention really quick. so I uh, needless to say I learned to play guitar pretty
0: fast. <laughs> that's yeah that's that's not really uh, the way that the progressives uh, like me believe uh, <laughs> folks ought to be taught, but I believe it was effective in your case. And, and i I'm not gonna I'm not gonna um, pin you down on your dad's beliefs that's your dad's and I understand that but I but I think a way to talk around it is the following, which is because you know you're as you've talked about a bit online, your personal transition from what I would say is a very conservative and restrictive way of looking at the world to consciously opening your heart had to st- to people whose Lived experiences are very different than yours, and the way that you've you've covered so much ground intellectually and emotionally, right? So I think just talking a little bit, I think about the kind of worldview again, without not pinning it down or labeling it, might be instructive for someone else living and trying to grapple with sure. that kind of heritage. You know what I mean?
1: Sure. Yeah. My I mean, my dad very conservative. Uh, you know, always had a lot of guns. Always, you know, uh, very very right leaning. Uh, we come from a very white area, you know, like almost a
0: sundown town, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There was, uh, I think maybe the first, uh, the first black kid to graduate from our school has been in the last couple of years. Right. So a sundown.
0: So then, yeah, like a sundown town.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, You know, that's just that's all I knew growing up, you know, it was white, straight males, you know, I mean, that that was they ran the world, you know, and that and that's they should run the world, you know, was what that was what was ingrained in my brain, you know. And uh, almost like an indoctrination,
0: I mean, almost like an indoctrination, not a, like almost yes. like an indoctrination into a code yeah, of it was beliefs. Just a given.
1: You know, that was, that was just a guess, just the way it was. And that's just uh, it, the way it should be. You know, that's what that's that was what we thought. That's what I thought as a young man growing up, even into my grown age. You know, I, uh, I once we started having kids, my wife and I had uh, children early. She was 19. I was 20 when Shelby was born. And, uh, of course we, so we grew up basically with Shelby and, uh, as a lot of young, young parents do, and Colton didn't come along till we was a little older, 25 years old, 26. And, uh, and it really, uh, our kids really changed our way of thinking. You know, we, we tried to keep them in church and things as young, as young kids and went to a pretty strict, uh, uh, free will Baptist church and, you know the man was the head of the household and, uh, you don't drink and, uh, you know, uh, all that kind of thing. So we, you know, i there for a few years, you know, we was pretty heavily involved in that. And, uh, we knew, uh, our, our son is, uh, is gay and we knew this from, you know, the time he was two and I never believed, you know, that, uh, we well, were born that way you know that's another thing i was taught you know that was just a, a lifestyle choice and uh seeing it with your own eyes uh, you know i remember my wife saying that when when he was young when he was just a little boy she's like he might be gay and i was like you're crazy yeah, he just you know he's got a sister he's you know he's a little feminine you know he'll he'll come out of that you know and uh, they, they you know it's not something you come out of it's it's who it's who they are and uh, how they're born. And, uh, it really completely done a 180 for us, as far as the way we think, the way we treat people. Uh, I mean, let me, I shouldn't say we, I, me, my wife has always been uh, a pretty bleeding heart, uh, li- not really a liberal, but she was a liberal, had a lot of, a lot of liberal views. You know, she loved everybody. And, and uh, and, uh, but dark children really opened my eyes to the world and how, how people should be treated, you know?
0: I mean, it's a beautiful thing that you were able to sort of like go from one place to another. Let's trace it a little bit because, you know, the reason we're, we're uh, talking is because of the music. And 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 so let's go, you know, when you are a kid and you start, you learn the chords because the pedagogy was so effective. Um, <laughs> and so you learn the chords on the guitar. Do you start, so you start singing these songs and I know that you were, going and competing and performing in shows and winning stuff when you were young i remember you you tell me that a while back so talk about what your childhood so you're you're in this town it's restrictive in certain ways but 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 for you you know you are a straight white male so so it's all working okay for for you as a kid sure uh and you were good at sports which a lot of people play music aren't like like i know what it's like because i'm not great at sports but i was Good enough to play on all the teams while also being in the arts and it's a big advantage in socially right. so how did you manage those when you' were a kid were those your two biggest interests like basketball and football and uh and guitar how did it work for you
1: yeah it was it was mainly basketball and music you know that was my uh our our school was very small uh we didn't have a football team and i I was you know six foot three and hundred and 60 pounds. So probably wouldn't have been a very good football player anyway. <clears throat> but yeah, those were the two things that, uh, that got me through those years. You know, that was, that kept me off of, uh, off of drugs and out of, uh, I think out of trouble, you know, that my dad was always do as I say, not as I do guy, which was a very good quality of his, you know, cause he done everything there was to be doing in front of me. I saw it. And, but if he ever caught me doing any of it, you know, it was ass whooping time, you know, So I was, uh, it it was a strict child. So he was forcing,
0: you were being forced to be kind of straight edge, even as you were watching him be doing, and I mean, it's funny, I'm thinking about all your songs, your own songs, and obviously you're fascinated by this kind of duality in your music too, right? And people led to some kind of understanding about, your characters often have an understanding about themselves that they're following their worst impulses, And they're they're trying to connect anyway, or trying to say like love me for all the flaws. It's right in in your own music. Yeah, scars and all. Yeah, exactly. I mean, are you writing about him a lot? Maybe you're writing. I was. You must be writing about him in some ways.
1: I mean, I channel a lot of that stuff. You know, people. You know, you try to write what you know. And you know, I've never spent a night in jail. Uh, you know, I've I've never been in any trouble. I've never, uh, like I said, never done any hard drugs. Smoke a little pot, you know, and that's that's just kind of my bag. You know, drink a little beer. That's that's about it. But uh, I was just exposed to so many things and and soaked it up like a sponge. You know, my dad. I mean, he they he ran with some real outlaws. You know, some real, uh, you know. Murders. You know, we have, you know, some childhood friends of of his that was around our house, you know, that they're in prison for murders. You know, I mean, they're they're hardcore people. So I was exposed to all this stuff and I I always had kind of a a tender heart. My dad was a a fighter on the weekends. It was like if he, you know, uh, he always could find somebody to uh, sharpen his uh, brawling skills, you know, on the weekends. And uh, I was always the guy that, you know, kind of felt bad for the other guy in those situations, you know, growing up, but yeah. So I channel a lot of that stuff and write a lot of things about things that I didn't necessarily do, but things that I seen, uh, as a young man, for sure.
0: So you witnessed that stuff. You mean the violence wasn't just theoretical or it wasn't just stories told to you, you saw oh your, you saw your dad and his friends, you know, do bad shit.
1: Violence was a very common occurrence. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: And what did you do with that when you were young? Meaning were you putting it you know, into the music? Like what, how would you, how would you, um,
1: I just thought it was the way things were done. You know what I mean? I, I just thought that's what adults do. They go out on the weekends, they go to some bars and they kick somebody's ass. And, and uh, that's just the way things that, you know, and some of them times, you know, I, I can remember there was a couple pretty epic brawls that my dad was in that was one or two different guys that, that went on for years and it was just like every time they seen each other i don't give a damn if you're at the grocery store if you're at a church parking lot if you're at a school or if you're at a bar uh, when you run into each other you're fighting and right then and there it doesn't matter what's going on it's crazy shit it was crazy shit you ever
0: you ever hear that Jason isbel song Decoration Day? I don't know if I've heard that That's song. It's like my it's the best kind of young song it was the song the first song he played for those guys when he joined the drive-by truckers. And and it was like, it's this story, it's these families that can't stop fighting each other for all these years, like the same, I'm gonna, when we're done, I'm gonna, It's you'll love it, it's like you're, you witnessed it. Like you witnessed exactly what this song uh, is about, I think. Kendall, what were you then like? How did you act out? Or did you just make a conscious choice that you you weren't going to act out? Meaning when you... You know,
1: I I didn't really act out. Uh, I guess I never did. You know, that's probably my... Uh, saving grace my wife i mean we met when we were young teenagers you know i asked her i called her up masquerade on her 15th birthday right. and uh, i was i just got my driver's license and she and her her parents were going through a divorce soon after that so we was both kind of like you know uh these kids surrounded by adults that was just doing what they wanted to do at the time you know and it was just like her mother had been thrown into turmoil you know her you know her dad run off with uh run off with somebody and it was just like you know it, their world was upside down and so and mine had been upside down my whole life and in some sort of fashion in a weird kind of way but like i said it was still really strict i still had a home life but it was just it was a little fucked up some kind, sometimes you know and uh but all it was i like to stay too it wasn't always that way you know it wasn't always uh screwed up you know doing doing the crazy things you know we had regular family things too you know and uh and Dad, you know, once once I started playing music, he would take me out on the weekends and even during the week, you know, on school nights. And he would get free beer and uh, I'd play for tips and pickled eggs and whatever they, you know, beef jerkies, whatever they had behind the bar. I can remember my mom calling the bar and saying, Is Ronnie Marvel in there? And they'd say, No, we haven't seen him, but she could hear me and they're playing music. Oh, uh,
0: that's awesome. Right.
1: Yeah. Tell him to get that boy's ass home. He's got school tomorrow.
0: Well, and how was it at school? So, like, you're doing that. What was your life like with your with other kids and at at school? Uh, Were you was being like smart or good at school or creative? Was that rewarded in any way in your regular life? Did you know that stuff about yourself that? You could man, put school words was together. the
1: hardest thing for my mind. I, I graduated high school, college never crossed my mind. Right. Uh, I knew yeah. what I was going to do, it was the only thing that I could do. Uh, I made shitty grades all through school. You know, the, uh, I had some good teachers that uh, would go the extra mile to make sure that I passed either because they wanted me out of school and didn't want to, have to put up with me anymore, or they just, you know, cared about me enough to think, you know. To get me on down the road.
0: What were uh, you? Uh, what were you taking in? So were you watching? You're listening to records. You're like uh, because you know you're such a gifted lyricist. So often that's from listening to music and and observing, but also often from like what you read or what you watch. So like what were you? What were you engaging with? What kind of art were you engaging with? Just as a as a fan, you know what I mean.
1: Uh, Just as a fan, I was always intrigued with the songwriters. I would always, you know, we'd get the vinyl and I'd always pull it out and see what, you know, uh, see who wrote. the. I was just always intrigued by who wrote songs and who played on them, you know. And uh, uh, I I just knew from an early age that that was something that intrigued me for some some reason, you know, not just the singer. uh, But, yeah, music was my only art that I was that I was into, you know, music and, and basketball. I didn't you know. No other art ever came into my life. Uh, at all, you weren't watching movies, really. That were like good movies. I mean, if it was on, you know, channel three, six, and twelve, you know, that's that's all we had. Rabbit ear antennas out in the country, and and uh, yeah, I can remember loving to go to my gr- grandparents who lived in the in a town of you know seven or eight thousand people because they had cable television. So you know, I'd love to go up there and just be able to watch Planet of the Apes or whatever you know was uh, we was into at the time. But, yeah, I didn't get into 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 that kind of thing until I got older uh, and way past being uh, a kid.
0: What were the records you were mostly listening to, let's say, when you were really starting to play music and take it super seriously? Who were the three people you were connected to the most who were making records? And they could I have was, been dead I already was. or not, but what were you listening to the most?
1: I was listening to Willie Nelson, Hank Williams Jr., and all, all that Outlaw stuff and Waylon. Uh, and then I really, when I was about 14, I guess, uh, you know, we was just coming out of that uh, disco uh, urban cowboy crap. And uh, Randy Travis, when Randy Travis came on the scene, it was like the floodgates opened for credible music. You had Steve Earle, you had Dwight Yoakam, you know, and it was just like a, just a, just a, and it ran the gamut. It was just like traditional country to hardcore uh, Bakersfield sound like Dwight was doing. It. Everybody was different. Rodney Crowell's, you know, Roseanne Cash, real, real songs, real songwriter stuff, you know, that had been missing.
0: Yeah. So I had while. Steve, Steve Earle and Roseanne and Rodney have all been on the podcast and. Uh, oh, fantastic. Yeah. And I, I had never talked to Dwight and Lyle's my friend. I haven't had Lyle on, but we're friends. And, and uh, cause Lyle also was right in that. For me, anyway, Lyle was one of those guys sure. during that period of yeah, change in that, yeah. in that music. Um, the so great those,
1: credibility scare, I think Steve Earle said of the '80s, it was the great the great credibility scare, and I agree.
0: Oh, those guys were all incredible, and I, I take any anytime someone mentions Steve, I, I always mention one of my very best friends died three years ago, and he he produced uh, Copperhead Road, Joe Hardy, engineered it, oh, nice. mixed it, and and was one of my best friends, and and tragically died. Um, three three years ago. So you mentioned Steve. So I'm gonna shout out. I, I always shout out Joe and Steve loved him too. Yeah. And uh, so, I, don't,
1: I, I didn't know him. And uh, that that was a fantastic record though. That from Guitar Town through Copperhead Road. Man, that was just the cream of the crop. Yeah,
0: man. my buddy Joe really found the sound for Copperhead Road. And Steve said he taught him how to how to think about this what a record should should sound like. But so you heard those those records. Had your voice already become this this deep? Baritone thing that you got, or well, low tenor, I had, I had or whatever that, you call it, you know.
1: Yeah, I had that at uh, ten years old. I had a remarkably deep voice. You know, I, I would get up, I'd, I'd talk like a boy, but I would sing and sound like Hank Williams Jr. or, or you know, uh, anything, whoever I wanted to sound Waylon, like. I know, mean, Waylon, Waylon, right? Yeah. Yeah, Waylon, Waylon, or Hank Jr. or something. You know, it was like I just had a deep voice. uh Yeah, from an early age, I could always sing. You know, it, it seemed like from day one, I could carry a good tune and. You know, they. You know, I know some people probably learned to sing. I never had any kind of lessons besides uh, switching on the fingers, uh, whatsoever of, of any kind. And uh, yeah, it just it came natural. So
0: the singing was just actually automatic for you. You are you were on. Yes, it, you were able was, to sing on pitch and and in a way that conveyed meaning. Early.
1: Yes, from the time I was ten through high school. I mean, I, I was just a solo acoustic guy, so I'd play and sing. You know, and I tried to write a few songs, but mainly just cover song type stuff, you know, make a little make a little money here and there.
0: So in the bars, when you were playing for Pickles uh, and uh, Beef Jerky and a couple quarters, you were playing cover songs. You were just getting the bar to sing along basically with cover songs.
1: Yep. Yep. Anything from George Strait to, like I said, you know, Southern Rock, Leonard Skinner, Hank Jr., whatever, you know.
0: And when did you put your first band together?
1: Uh, right around the end of high school, uh, we had we had a little band in high school. There was there was enough guys in our school that were pseudo musicians. That uh, you know, our, our shop teacher was a fiddle player, and we would uh, rather than weld a lot of time, we would sit out there in the shop and play music together. And about once a year, we would have an assembly. You know, and uh, take about a half a day off school and uh, just set up in the gym, and all the all the kids would come in and and we would just play cover songs. And that, that was probably my first uh, time with a band. You know, I'd set in with a band once once or twice. Uh, but that was my first time of actually, you know, uh, doing a half-assed show. Very half-assed, I'm sure.
0: And as soon as that you started doing that, you said you, you didn't have plans for college. So you knew this is what I was going to do. When did the, like, oh, if I'm going to do this, I should write songs start or did you just start writing songs because you felt something and then had to write something how did that start to happen
1: i wrote a few songs you know just you know as kids do who are, you know want to be in the music business i want to be a musician you know you feel like you gotta have one or two songs of your own and i've done that you know and it was just terrible little practice songs basically uh but i remember i was a senior in high school, and we had a principal, Miss Lee, and she was really strict. And uh, I had an opportunity to go down and meet a couple guys: a guy named Marv Dennis, and a guy named Scott Simon. And uh, at the at the time, Scott was an att- a music attorney, and Marv was a manager. And uh, I'd played at the Oper Land Hotel, and they had uh, heard me somewhere. I don't even remember how how that took place, but uh, I went and had this. We had this meeting, but they wanted to meet during the week. And you know, when I was, you know, almost getting ready to graduate, and barely going to graduate if I was going to.
0: And you were like seventeen years old, and these guys were in Tennessee. They were in Nashville. Yeah,
1: they were. They were in Nashville, which is three hours yeah. from where I grew up. So I went to. Uh, I couldn't afford uh, unexcused absence. You know, you have to. If you miss more than one day, you had sure. to have a doctor's excuse. So I went to Miss Lee and told her, you know, what the deal was, and she said, "So, uh, what are you plan on doing when you get out of school?" And I said, "Music, exactly what I plan on doing," you know. And she said, "So no college, nothing like that." I said, "You've seen my grades. You know, I'm not, I'm not cut out for that that life." And uh, she said, "Well, as far as I, I'm concerned, you know, I give kids days off to go visit college. Uh, I'm gonna excuse your absences because if that's what you're going to do, that's what you know. That's what you're going down there. For.
0: Great, wow, so that's she was beautiful. Really, she
1: was really cool about it." And uh, probably helped me. You know, I I, don't, I wouldn't have graduated if I had three hundred shoes absent. that does way.
0: she know what happened to you? Did she live to see what happened? to I'm you? sure she
1: does. I'm sure she still lives in the area. I haven't I haven't seen her in a long time. Send her a little but note. Yeah, you should sure. send
0: her a note of thanks, man. That's
1: so cool. I, I should. You know, and I I mentioned this in an article or two in the past, and uh, yeah, it was. Uh, uh, she turned out way cooler than what we thought she was, you know, at the time. Yeah. what a cool Of course, thing you kind of got to be a hard ass when you're dealing with a bunch of. Oh my God. Of course. Schools.
0: But she let you go. And so what happened? So you go to this meeting
1: and. I go to this meeting and, and, and uh, and Scott, uh, Simon, uh, he was, he was like I said, an attorney, he was like, you write songs. And I was like, yeah, you know, and he was like, play me a couple. So I played him a couple songs. He was like, yeah, you got some work to do. You need to, you need to really write songs, you know? And, uh, this you know this relationship went on just for a little bit and then I kind of lost touch and played local you know regional up there in in Illinois had a pretty good following and this went on you know for years you know for nine ten years and uh I actually took a job in a tire factory because my uh my oldest was uh see what year was that 94 she was three Colton wasn't born yet and so I got a job got some insurance and I've done that for like two years. And out of the blue, this uh, Scott Simon, i would kind of given up on Nashville. I you know went down. Yes. So, so my wife and I moved down there in the early 90s. And I was, you know. But you were outside.
0: Old. I want to make, but we got to draw this distinction. I know have talked because you've told me the story. I know you have. So you moved near Nashville, but you didn't move to Nashville proper yet. Right, right. And, yes. and so you were down in Tennessee, and but you took a job in a factory.
1: Uh, well, I was down I st- at first. I tried Nashville for like six months, you know, right. and I thought I was going to come to Nashville and then somebody's going to come knock on my door and tell me how good I was, sure. you know, and uh, I just basically come to Nashville and hung around. I didn't do anything, you know, just night, na- naive and stupid. And so we decided we was going to move back home. She missed home. We was young. And uh, so I moved back home and then I was playing locally and took the factory job and, uh, and out of the blue, Scott Simon's assistant called me up and uh, said, Scott ran across an old tape of yours. And he would, you know, if you're interested, call him up. So I called him up. And in the meantime, Scott had went on to form a, uh, a management company and was managing Tim McGraw and, and a bunch of other, you know, he was a big time, a big time uh, manager at this point. So uh, he was the one, I went back down and seen him and, And told him what I've been doing, played him some songs. And he was like, let me tell you, man. He said, nobody's going to give you songs. You know, they're going to give them to the Tim McGraws and the Kenny Chesneys and George Straits of the world. And it kind of rubbed me wrong because I thought, man, I'm I'm just as good a singer as those guys. And then later on in life, when I become a songwriter, you know, a a real songwriter, I realized, like, I ain't giving my songs to somebody like me. I'm going to, you know. I'm gonna I'm to get some songs in there that I can yeah. make make a get living something
0: of. to Kenny Chesney if you can absolutely because Kenny yeah. Chesney's
1: of the world that's who I want to record my songs and that's how all that came about and I mean it well when giant. he said
0: that to you wait when he said that to you you still hadn't started writing in a very serious way yet
1: no 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 not at all
0: even uh-huh. so yeah. you even you're working in a factory you come and so this is your second chance sitting with this guy and again he says to you dude write yes. better songs. Yes. And I was
1: 26 years old at that time. You know, I was, uh, your, second, getting so your
0: second kid was just about born.
1: He was just born. And, as uh, soon as he was born, I, uh, gave my notice at work, you know, as soon as that was paid for the insurance and my dad and his wife owned a little mom and pop, uh, motel in Marion, Illinois. And he said, he was kind enough. Both of them was, They was like, why don't you come over here and work for us and go down to Nashville a couple of days a week. So I would go down and stay with some friends of ours and, uh, go hit the bluebird cafe and broken spoke anywhere where there was an open mic night, you know, I'd go, I'd go sit in play songs, meet other songwriters. And that went on for, I guess, a year and a half, two years. And finally my dad said, uh, you know, and and all this time I was meeting these songwriters and building these relationships. And, and my dad finally said, why don't you go ahead and move? And he said, I will, uh, we'll keep you on the payroll for a year. And I said, fantastic. I think they was paying me 400 bucks a week. And I was like, "All right, we're gonna we'll, we'll move." And I said, "If I get any songs recorded, I will uh, I'll, I'll split the publishing with you." And you know, I, I'd learned enough to know that the publishing, you know, sure. the songwriters are, you know, that's our that's our gold. And boy, that bit me in the ass because you know, the, the day that I moved well, to town, yeah. uh, I wrote. Uh, I had my first co-write was with a buddy of mine named Casey Bethard, who had never had a hit yet, but well, he was just he sure had a over. lot of them
0: now. Casey, oh, so, God. so and you know well, it's funny because
1: I always say you know, I I but I, 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 I brought what I say used I said I busted your cherry, Casey. I said I got you that first hit, and the day my first day in town, him and I uh, wrote that Gary Allen song. Yeah, and and he like I said, he was on the verge of blowing up. Anyway, he was getting you know he got a bunch of cuts. He just hadn't had a hit yet. And right after that, he just like went on this. T- well, had you
0: but but had you in that period? Is that when so when you let Scott left Scott's office and he was like, No one's gonna write for you, what did you then do? Like, did you then decide to become a serious songwriter? Like what happened that changed because that, that just that one piece, like did you all right, you're twenty-six, you have two kids, you're you are you are not making any progress. You're trying, you're playing out, you're but but not you're trying as a performer, but you're not right. making any progress yet. So did you no, then no. decide, okay, I got to consciously carve time to write? Like what, what helped you make the leap as a songwriter so that you knew you were bringing something of value into your core? Like what changed Kendall? What did you do? I think, I think it was
1: just the opportunity to, to do that, you know, that, that I'd been waiting for, uh subconsciously i guess you know just i always was doing something else working or playing gigs i didn't have time to to write songs you know with my excuse you know and and then when he told me that and then dad made this uh offer like this is my opportunity to dive in and utilize these relationships that i've made with these very talented people who are for some reason willing to write songs with me and it's not because i was writing great songs it was because they thought you know this guy's probably going to be an artist he's a good singer uh, so that, that opened a lot of the doors for me as a songwriter. And then I just dove in, I mean, head first, you know, uh, writing songs with these guys and become obsessed with it. You know, we, we'd write, I wrote songs every day for, for years, you know, uh, but I was writing with people who were so much better than me and I, it just made me catch on like that. I mean, I would just, you know, stuff I thought was cool. And good, uh, they informed me that it was not cool and good, and and had some good ideas. But they they taught me how to make that into into something really good and cool.
0: Were you listening to a lot of stuff then too, and trying to study songs, or only from the? Reruns? I've always been a,
1: a study of songs. You know, I, I've always been a fan of, uh, like I said, of, of of great songs. You know, I, I can remember a, a song called 80s Ladies" from uh, KT Oslin. Awesome. and just as a young man just stopping the car hearing that song was thinking damn I, i'm not really sure i don't relate to this woman whatsoever she's singing a song about ladies you know uh from the 80s you know from that era but something touched me with that song it was like how brilliant she was in such simple terms that a dumbass like me could understand it and that she was very she was very intellectual I don't know if you've listened to kt or not
0: yeah of course uh, we
1: look." We, we you know we lost her to COVID as well a year or two ago, but my gosh, she could write a song, uh, and I just I wanted to write. I would hear those songs. I was like, I want to write something like that. You know, just something that says something, has meaning, and, just and can really jabs, land. Jab in the heart, and even if you don't understand what it is, you know something is going on in that song that's really important.
0: Yeah, that makes complete sense with the way you work too, because I've I've noticed, and I wonder if the early songs you kind of dashed off because. One thing I've noticed now, having spent a couple of years writing with a lot of people in Nashville myself, which has been, fa- you know, obviously like fascinating experience. Um, some people go real quick. They like are facile and they just want to get their, they, their, they want their motor to kind of rev very quickly. And I've yeah. noticed that you're, uh, one of the hallmarks of the way you do what you do is, you and Luke Dick both do this actually, which is, and you're two of the most successful guys at it.
1: I love Luke, too. Luke's He's incredible.
0: Great. He's a great, become a really great friend. We just kind of spent a week hanging out up, upstate New York, on and it was awesome. But I notice you really will take your time to think through a line or an idea or where sure. something needs to go. And it takes a lot of discipline and confidence to do that, because you're kind of willing, it seems to me, to stop a right for a moment, to stop the creative flow, to do some kind of check about what really you're trying to go after. And I'm wondering, were you always that way or is that something that happened as you got deeper into this pr- process?
1: I think it's always been that way for me. You know, I always wanted it to be as good as it possibly could. You know, you coming from your creative standpoint too, with, with what you, not only your songs, but what you do uh, in the, in the, in the entertainment world and in, in the movies and things, uh, if we're not careful, uh, we'll have a really good idea and we can fuck it up. If we don't, yeah. if we don't, you know, I, I'm not in, I'm never in a hurry to finish a song. You know, if, if it's sometimes, you know, it'll, uh, half of it'll come to you like that. And then you got to work for the rest of, you know, it's like, how can we, you know, yeah, we could mediocre this up and, and write something in this second verse, but how do we make this second verse better than that first one? you know, that's, that's the, that's the thing for me.
0: Yeah. that makes- well,
1: My brothers and I, you know, uh, uh, we just want to Grammy with the younger me. Uh, it, it, we started that song on a zoom call and then we finished it out here in the country at my, at my old farmhouse on the, on the porch. That was the first song that I wrote at this house. I live in a 200 year old farmhouse out here in the country. It's, it was an old civil war hospital. This house was and. uh, so it has some, probably a lot of history here, <clears throat> that uh, needed a, a, a hit, so a Grammy-winning song written on the porch was probably not uh, in the history of this. Oh house. no, that
0: totally burnishes it though even more now, right? <laughs> right. So for the way the world works now, that's more important than all the people who got like uh, you know uh, shot and helped or, or, or nursed back to health. But so, well, talk about that because you you mentioned that because you said you weren't in a hurry to finish and you wrote that in two different spots and. So yeah, what happened? We, it just stayed in we your head. The song just stayed in your head and you were like, we got to, we got to get after yeah.
1: this. And it, it was one of those things, you know, I mean, once we got to writing it, uh, I can remember we started that zoom conversation. It was me and John was supposed to write with, with another artist and they canceled. And so I said, well, TJ want to join us. And he was like, ah, he's pretty tired, but let me ask him. And he was like, sure. He wants to join. So I always try to have, you know, a rock, they're a pretty rock and roll, uh, outfit. So I was like, I try always have some tempo, you know, some rocking for them to to jump on. I had a few ideas and uh, TJ was like, man, you know, uh, we can always do that. He said, we need something, you know, that means something we're looking for. And I was just digging through ideas and all I had was younger me, made it harder than it had to be. That's all I had. And he said, what's that? And I was like, man, I don't know. It's just an idea that I was going to write with John and this other artist or, you know, somebody's going to sling at him. I think it, uh, you know, it's just a song about looking back on your younger self. And we got to talking about TJ's experience growing up as a, as a young gay man, a young closeted gay man for, you know, yeah. many, many years and talk about my son's, uh, childhood growing up being bullied and, uh, and, uh, just being treated differently than, than everybody else. And John was dealing with, uh, some really serious uh, mental health issues. You know, he had to had to take some time to uh, get his stuff together. I, and I always told my kids and stuff like that. I said, one day you're going to look back. If you hang on long enough, you're going to look back on all this stuff that you thought was the end of the world and uh, see that it was a learning experience or it's going to take you from point A to point B. And, and they were both was like, Holy shit. Yeah, that's, that's what this song's about, you know. Just like a, it's just a letter to yourself, basically. Awesome. Like, hang on, and and you're you're going to see, uh, you know. The I, it was the only song that ever everybody cried at different times when we was writing this song. That's never happened to me before. It was just such an emotional song to write, just because it was so personal to all of us. And uh, That's God, incredible. I wish I could write. I, I wish I could write with that kind of emotion every day.
0: And yeah, so what happens, you guys, so you, you get halfway through the song and that initial zoom, right?
1: Yes, and 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 we just had all these ideas and verse ideas and things we'd written down. And we was like, you know what, let's step away from this for a minute. This is way too good for us to, you know, try to jam into the two and a half hours that we have here. So that night, I can remember I was just texting them, uh, actually a couple of lines that end up sticking in the song. And TJ was like, I love this. And how about this here? And John would say, how about this? And then John sent had this little track, this little funky '80s sounding, weird Casio keyboard thing, you know that uh, he had put down at his house. And I was like, "Man, I we we got something, you know." Th- I, and I told him, "I said, boys, this is this is song of the year, you know. This is this is what we're dealing with here, you know. I, I think this feels like this could be the one that elusive Grammy that have eluded yes. you guys. They've been nominated, you know, several times, and." Uh, Then we did like a week later with, I said, let's just go. You guys come out the house. I hadn't seen my house. I said, it was a nice, beautiful spring day. And they come out and sit on the porch and we had the time to hash through all these lines we had and get it exactly right. You know, it was so special. It was one of those songs that was so special. Well, I said, we couldn't, we couldn't let ourselves fuck it up. We had to, we had to, uh, it. it's what I call it we, we shed it on it you know we, we went to work and and carved out the good ones threw out the bad lines and uh and it was magic I mean we it was and my, my wife came in when we was making the work tape and she was like what is that right I, and I was like that's that song of the year is what that is and she was like that is freaking fantastic
0: and what happened then next with it did they play it for their producer did you play it like what was the next step how long until how long from there until it's on their record and released
1: I had just left. uh, I was writing for downtown music publishing. I'd been there for six years. And that was one of the first songs I wrote. And me and my my old publisher, Steve Marklin, who I've written for at one sense or another for three quarters of my songwriting career has been at a, a publishing company that he has ran. So we're, and we're tight. We're buddies. So I immediately texted him. He was like, dude, you let go of me. You let me go at the wrong time. You know, this, we didn't, we didn't fix this. We didn't get our new contract. And and uh, he was like, send it to him. I sent it to him. And he was like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> he was like, you're right. He was like, you're right. So And we're all good friends with the Osborne family. So then Natalie, uh, their sister, you know, she was like, Oh my God, this song, TJ just played it for me. And I was like, right. And then John done that little track at home. And it was just so cool sounding. And I was like, guys, this needs, <laughs> you know, they had just put a new record out. Right. I was like, and, and Lucy, John's wife had said, this is for the time, you know, TJ had, had just come out during COVID, you know, in the big time interview. And he was like, this song needs to be, this can't wait until the next record, you know, two or three years between albums. And uh, next thing I know, I got a, a sync request for something on this song. And I text John's like, what's up with this? He was like, we're putting that out tomorrow. And I was like, no shit. And I was like, holy crap. So they just like dropped this song right in the middle of of an uh, of another single. You know, it was just like this, and was, it just this took, song and meant it so much off. to them that they had to put it out right then. You know, now is now is the time for people to hear this song. And it changed everything. I mean, it changed uh I think it changed their career. You know, I, I really do. I know it's, you know, it's it's my favorite. Uh, most personal thing that I've ever been involved with in a song.
0: And how did it, you were already a very successful songwriter. What happens, what does it feel like for you? Does it still feel very special to you when this kind of thing happens? And then when people responded, have you gone and gone to a concert where they're playing it and watched the people around you crying and raising their, raising their phones like a lighter and all that stuff?
1: It, yeah, I mean, it's unlike anything. I've only got to watch him play it live uh, twice, and it's just so emotional to see, you know, TJ tell his story and uh, just to know that we sat on my damn porch and came up with that, you know, it's, and, and that don't happen all the time. You know, we still write a lot of songs, but you don't run across one like that. Of course. Uh, you know, one or two, if you get two in a career, uh no, it's, it's pretty rare. Everybody can't write those kind of songs. All I wish I could write one like that every day.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's funny. You came in with one like that with me once that hasn't come out yet, but that I know you wrote. You wrote, I mean, we wrote a tiny bit of it. I added a tiny bit to it. But you wrote one thing that I don't want to go like this. That's one of those kind of songs.
1: Oh, oh God, I love that song. Yes. That's one of those. Yeah. Is that just me? That was just me and you as well, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe, um, maybe Jabe was on, helped with the little bit of the, mu- the okay. The okay. Lyrics I remember Jabe with uh, yeah. But I think yeah, me, you, and Jabe, maybe, uh, maybe the, yeah. the three of us. But you came in with, I mean, you you came in with that verse and that idea, and I remember that was one of those things where because now it's been years since that was sort of the beginning of me starting to do do this too. But uh, but I remember that feeling I had with that thing was like, oh, that's that was the second time you and I wrote together. And I was like, "Oh, that's really special. That's something." Yeah. I keep waiting for something yes, to happen with that song because it's you came, you locked Man, in. So
1: it's a shame when those kind of songs. You know, it's it's so weird. You know how they'll lay around. You know, either way that Stapleton and I wrote uh, that song. Uh, it took ten years for that song to become a hit and win a Grammy. You know, yeah. it's like I, song. I don't 10 know, years I'll old. be
0: shocked if I, if I don't want to go like this doesn't end up. Ever, that's good. Something's gonna happen with that song. I
1: never give. I never give up on those songs because uh, they somehow tend to find the the right spot.
0: When you play out and you do your shows as Kendall Marvel. Will you play the hits that other artists had or only on a songwriter night? Like, you know, will someone hear the brother Osborne song or hear your, you know, uh, any of the other hits you've written for other people, or you just do your, your songs that are you as an artist.
1: When I, when I headline a show and do clubs and things, i there's a little segment in, in the set in the center of the, of the show where we'll, uh, I'll do a couple things, you know, uh, the Gary Allen song. And I do, uh, that Lonesome song and, uh, I do my version of either way. <clears throat> I haven't done Younger Me, uh, just for the fact of I'm not sure I can get through it. You know, it's so, it's so personal to me. I think once I do it one time, I'll be fine. But I mean, it's you gotta
0: like, do it just to see the crowd reaction and feel it all directed at, at, at you. Talk, Can you talk right. a little, so, so you go, you finally do come to Nashville, you get in the room with Casey, you write that song. And are you aware at the time, oh, this feels different, this is a good song. This is different than the stuff I've been writing up to now, or or not?
1: I thought you know, I thought it was a pretty good song. I didn't think it was what it was, what it turned out to be. Uh, actually the demo of the song uh, sounds a lot like uh it reminded me of Werewolves of London, had that. And it didn't have that big guitar lick, you know, that Gary then yeah. put on. And I can remember when they called, we really wanted Mark Chestnut, I remember, to, to record this song. And they was like, Mark passed on this, but Gary Allen loves it. I was like, okay, cool. You know, he's on the same label. And then I can remember when the A&R guy called me in to listen to it and that giant guitar riff that kicks that song off. Uh, I was like, "That's this isn't my song. You made me the wrong song. Oh, that's funny. So it changed so much. Yeah. It, it changed it so much and made it. Uh, just a rock anthem, you know, and I, I've become good friends with Gary now after all these years and uh, I've done some shows with him and uh, played that song with him. And he still closes the show with that song. And uh, he told me that he said that was the song. Obviously, obviously that song made my career. You know, that was my first taste of success. But he said that song was the song that took him to the next level as an artist.
0: That's incredible. You
1: know, just came out with Smoke Rings in the Dark, and it was an iconic record. But that song, uh, somebody told me that from the time that song came out until it peaked on the charts, uh, that he sold 900,000 albums, which, you know, that's not streams. That is somebody actually no, bought that's, 900,000 albums. They used to call
0: albums. yeah. that's a ton of, of records. Uh, that That's just uh, crazy. It's so funny, Mark Chestnut. You know, Mark Chestnut also cut – you know, he, he was going to release his first single, I think, Friends in Low Places. And uh, right, he's had a couple right. of like where if he would have, it was just so close. But then, go, you know, go, I'm right. pretty sure that he was the first person to cut Friends in Low Places. I think you're right, yeah. And it just didn't quite sure. connect. About. And then and then he could have had that song, and it didn't quite happen. I mean, he had a lot of success. But obviously, a couple things just break slightly different. And maybe,
1: you know. Sure, yeah, the could have, should have, would have in this business, as you know. Is, uh, we'll talk
0: a little bit uh, about being a, a the songwriter life of so you've had all these successes you're in the upper echelon you're riding a grammy award now you've had a couple but the day-to-day grind of it does it ever get you down does the day-to-day grind of showing up and it you know not knowing or not quite feeling it or knowing you write something like i don't want to go like this and you send it to three people and they're like they don't quite get you know uh brandy clark's told me the story of sending a song to her publisher and from my money, you know, Brandy's like as good a songwriter as exists, and and uh, One of the best. you know, she'll send a song, and the publisher's just kind of muted, and it kind of kills her whole enthusiasm for what she thought was great. So, how do you ride right. that stuff? How do you ride that through? How do you how do you say this? Wait, I don't want to go like this. A great song. I gotta I gotta keep trying. Or how do you show up the next morning and try to write again when, you know, you just had sort of a muted reaction from everybody for the last three sure. weeks. You know.
1: Well, you know, I, I always said, you know, opinions are like assholes. You know, everybody's got one, and and I respect that. That's fine. Uh, everybody don't dig the same thing. But, you know, up until I was pretty burnt, I guess, around 2014, uh, 2015, music was really changing. Uh, uh, country radio, you know, was our bread and butter, you know. and I, I, Once I started having success as a songwriter, uh, the artist side i just put it on hold and never really right. pursued it again because you know i was my kids were young i wanted my kids were in sports i i made a really good living writing songs having a lot of success so i stayed home with my wife and raised our kids and so i kind of just you know that ship had sailed i thought you know the artist side and then 14 15 rolled around you know and i was like man i just can't relate to these songs we're having that me as a professional songwriter or any other professional songwriter, you know, our job is to get on the radio and what radio was playing. uh, I just couldn't, I couldn't get into the, you know, the girls in short shorts and booty shaking and uh, you know, beer on the tailgate, every fucking song, you know, I was just like, right. I couldn't, it was sort of like that I watered
0: down Bon Jovi thing. Wasn't what you were interested exactly. in. I you love know, Bon Jovi, little, but the watered wide, 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 down wide. version of it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, a lot of my really good friends was having a lot of success, and I did not ever look down on them. You know, that's that's they've they've done very well doing it. I just could not get up and look myself in the, mor- in the mirror in the mornings and say that I wrote that song. You know, uh, coming from you know loving Willie Nelson and Chris Christopherson and Wade and all these artists who done all these great songs. I could not look myself in the in the mirror and write those kind of songs. And I was really torn on what to do. You know, it's like, do I, what do I do here? Do I do I just retire? Do I quit? You know, I'm too young to retire. Uh, and then Chris Stapleton, you know, there was a lot of rumblings going on of, uh, of cool music. You know, there was always the Jason Isbells and uh, Sturgill Simpsons and stuff. It was making some noise, you know, and uh, streaming had started to take off. And there was other ways of getting uh, getting noticed besides country radio and then the i can remember my plainest day we watched the cma award 2015 when stapleton was on there with justin timberlake and i told my wife that night. i said i'm making a record i'm gonna go make an album this now is the time this is gonna be this everything changed that night you know for for guys like me and uh I remember it
0: so clearly, man. But also Stapleton was your guy, right? I mean, you had oh, he was my—he
1: was just my songwriting buddy. You know, we we drank whiskey and and uh, wrote songs together. You know, and just had a lot of fun. And we'd go do songwriter shows. Everybody was just so. I I took him back home and done a show one time, and I can my dad, who's my biggest fan. I can remember him saying, "Son, you might want to be careful who you bring home to play these shows." Yeah, I
0: was like, "What do you mean?"
1: He's like, "That guy is." I'm like anyone I've ever heard. Right, that's said, a
0: superstar. I'm, well, yeah, I've heard people talk about this, that when when Chris first walks in a room, like you, when you first wrote with him and he first opened his mouth, were you just like, what the fuck?
1: I was like, my publisher told me, he's like, this kid from Kentucky is a really good writer. And I hadn't even heard him sing. You know, he didn't play me in ass. I said, well, you think we'll write something together? Hook us up. And they hooked us up. And uh, I walked in. He was clean shaven, had almost a flat top haircut, these goofy looking glasses he wore around and, uh, come in some shorts, you know, and uh, I was like, what's up? I'm Kendall. He said, Hey, I'm Chris. And and he started singing and I was like, where the fuck is this guy been my whole life, you know? And we just hit it off musically. And it just, we loved the same kind of music and, the, and we had fun and we were just young, younger and and goofy and uh, just, man, we just lo- we wrote the Well, we wanted to write the same kind of songs. You know, and at the time, Chris was, you know, he was trying to have hits like I was, you know. So, but there was something about his way of writing that had a, we could st- still sound like a hit, but there was just something a little cooler in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where it's like, how,
0: how, how little, many songs little, have you so. guys put on record? How many songs have been cut that two of you, either by him or by other people that you guys wrote together? You no,
1: know, we probably had 10 or 12, you know, something like that recorded. And you've had like uh, six
0: that he's cut of yours, right? Uh five something
1: like that way hard living uh and there's one more i think i think he's cut three of my songs
0: incredible
1: and i'm thinking you know the good thing about chris is he goes back in that catalog he's got such a well of uh of great songs that uh he ain't scared to go back and i look for him to cut some more of that stuff you know i'm Uh, sure that he i'm sure that he will if it fits the project you know he'll
0: uh does it ever work when you guys are when you're out there opening for him or playing with him do either of you ever just grab a guitar afterwards and say, hey, I got an idea, let's write something, or is it you're just moving on to the next town?
1: Uh, I mean, it's such a big a big show now, and, you know, there's so many people pulling at him. Uh, I have way more time than 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 he does, you know, course, I'm sure.
0: Of course.
1: Uh, you know, it's, a, it's a big organization, and and I, I don't think he likes to ride on the road anyway. A lot of guys don't, you know, like to, you know, if you got an hour off, you damn sure don't want to spend it staring at another songwriter, you know, you got your wife and kids out there and stuff with you.
0: Let's talk about the artist thing with our remaining minutes here, because, um, I love the thing that Dan Auerbach did with John Anderson. And then you were on that, you know, your last record was with him and stuff like that. And, and, uh, can you just talk about how so you made this decision i want to start writing for myself i want to do this myself when you saw chris and you know your last record and this new one too like just right in my wheelhouse what i love um oh thank you you know i mean that's why i think i heard hard time with the truth and then that's when i we followed each other online i heard that song and i was like this is the kind of you know because i'm ai I love jamie johnson i'm a huge sure. jamie johnson fan and there's definitely a kinship there in the, what you're doing. I mean, especially for me in the vacuum of Jamie not doing it. I was right. looking for that, you know, and uh, heard your record and, and really re- reacted to it. And then we started bullshitting with each other online and became friends. But, but w- what's this journey been like for you of, of now putting it out there in, in this way? Man,
1: it's been fantastic. You know, just a learning experience. You know, my first record, uh, I done with Keith Gaddis, uh, a guitar player, producer, songwriter from Austin, Texas. Keith uh was in uh Dwight Yoko's band. He took Pete Anderson's spot, you know, right. whenever he left. Great player, great guy. And uh, I called him up, was like, I want to make a record. He was like, Gain money. I was like, No, but I'll, you know, we'll we'll find some. So uh uh, some people was gracious enough to uh, help me fund that record. And we've done low down and lonesome. And that was my first time, you know, I've done tons and tons of demos, but I didn't trust myself to go in and and steer the ship, you know, on, on making an album, uh, you know, just not trying to trying to write an album, you know, and not trying to just put a bunch of songs, random songs on it. So I had the idea, I said, low down and lonesome, you know, G- uh, Gaddis and I had written that with Randy Hauser. I said, I want to build everything around that song. And, and, all the songs I either want to be low down or I want to be lonesome, you know, kind of time all around that. And he was like, Oh, I love that. So we picked a few things that I'd already written. And then, uh, and then Gaddis and I wrote the rest of the record and it, it done its job, you know, got me with William Morris. Uh, it got me, uh, it got the ball rolling, you know, uh, got some dates, started touring a little bit. And then I got the call. I was working with a guy named Clay Bradley and, uh, Clay was like, I want to go. I want to, was talking about second record he said i want you to go meet with uh, dave ferguson and i said who's yep. dave ferguson he said he said ferg you know worked on the johnny cash stuff with rick rubin and producers tyler childers and sturgill simpson i was like oh cool yeah let's go do it so we went and met dave uh ferg as i call him at his studio uh, butcher shop and ferg smokes like a fiend he was sitting there smoking cigarettes and he was like you got some pretty good songs man i like your songs you know that's the way he talks and, he said, but I, he said, you know who Dan Auerbach is? And I was like, yeah, well, yeah, I know who Dan is, you know. And uh, I I mean, obviously knew who Dan was, but I didn't. I hadn't listened to a lot of Dan. Right. you know. Uh, obviously, and then I called my home and asked my kids. It's like, you know who the black keys are? And I'm like, well, fuck yeah, Dan. Yeah, Dad. of course. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was like, well, you know, I'm going to go meet with Dan. And they was like, this is fantastic. So me and Dan, you know, I went and met him. Uh, Ferg, Ferg's exact word was I don't take a shit anymore without calling Dan back and asking him that. So he sent him a couple songs and he said, yeah, he wants to meet you. So we went to the studio and hung out and just right then he was like, let's just write some songs. And if we write some good songs, we'll go record them. That's
0: awesome.
1: I was like, all right. So we took, you know, four or five days, wrote 17 songs. And we had an album and it was the, the most magical, uh, experience in the studio I learned so much just little things from Dan I mean he's really is a genius
0: yes clearly
1: uh songwriter player producer uh, I think he'd rather produce than do it I think he just plays just to uh to fund his habit of making records I mean between
0: your, your your record and the John Anderson record I mean I, I would say anyone listening to this it's two totally different things too those records really other than that they're like a perfect representation of what that artist has in them but they're entirely different um, right. Albums, I think, and Dan did both, and they're great. They're both yes. great. Yeah. And he
1: just has a thing that it's just a common thread. You hear it in all of his records, and I can't put my finger on it. it's just a sound. When I hear it, I was like, "That's a Dan Auerbach record." You know, I can tell just by some playing or something that's on it, the mix. Alan Parker, who works for him over there, uh, is a lot behind that sound. Who engineers all that all that stuff with Dan? So he has a lot to do with that easy eye sound.
0: And then there. that record raised your profile as an artist right oh
1: absolutely i mean it was you know just fucking covid hit us and 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 put the brakes on all of it right when it came out but yeah i mean that you know that for some reason uh, gave me a little cool factor yeah. a little cool you know i, I kind of feel like I, I i always ran with the cool kids anyway you know a little bit and then and tried to stay in that lane with them and that just kind of upped it a little more you know working with dan you know he's like he only picks shit he's passionate about. Sure, he don't care if it's a eighty year old black blues man or a fifty one year old uh, has been songwriter. You know, I mean, if he likes it, uh, he goes in and makes something special.
0: And then, no, what was the idea behind the new record?
1: The, the new album, would "Come On Sunshine." Uh, when you know, I done the record with Gaddis, done the record with Dan, and uh, I felt like it was my time to. Uh, jump at the helm and you know A and R the project and and do exactly what I wanted to do. And uh so I picked out the songs and I enlisted a guy named Bo Bedford uh, in Dallas, Texas. Bo's got a uh, place down there called Modern Electric Sound. It's a great it kind of reminds me of our back studio a lot. It's really vibey, really cool. And uh he had done a record on a girl named Leah Blevins that I really she liked. Leah
0: is him. great, man. Leah is awesome
1: yeah she is great i love the tone the sound she's an
0: amazing of singer and uh so true and, oh, and honest and everything she's like bad. that
1: so sweet such a sweet lady and he does paul cawthon you know and paul uh, is uh just the wild man of of country wild man of music period not even country music yes and i like the what the sonically the way they sound and uh so we just hit it off and i sent him some songs he was like man these songs are great let's let's do something. That's like, just book it, book the studios. So we booked it for four or five days. And I went down and, and uh, he said, who do you want to use? I said, I want to use whoever you use on these records. You That's know, great. I don't want, I don't great. want to bring anybody. I want, I want to use those guys because I like what they're doing. And it was just a bunch of guys that I didn't, I didn't know any of them. And he said, I'm going to bring down uh, Nick Bachrath, Nick's uh, lead guitar player in a band called Cage the Elephant. He said, oh, yeah, you know, we we'll always try, that, we'll try yeah. to and rock and roll in our. You know, we we'll have some real country guys, then we'll have a rock and roll guy. And man, that band—it was just so magical. Uh, it it just fell right into place, and it was just uh, it was just amazing to work with those guys. They were so creative, uh, and just took it even further than I." than I thought they would, you know what I mean? They made it even better than, than I, than I dreamed they would.
0: Well, that's, that's just awesome, man. And I'm so happy for you that you got another one coming out that you're, that you dig. And, uh, the songs I've heard from it are great. And I, I just can't, I can't wait for the world to get to hear it. And, uh, and man, I'm, I'm so happy you're in a groove and it's all going well. And you're having this kind of success. Continue. I'm super,
1: I'm super excited. You know, we got, uh, uh, my daughter Shelby manages me now. She's at Red Light, so we just moved over there for management, and that's opened up a lot of doors, you know, as, uh, as far as just opportunities and things. Uh, I've brought my son into the fold, Colton. He's uh, he's he's helping us now, helping us uh, advance shows and things, and and getting involved with uh, and making it more of a family. Family thing where everybody's involved and everybody knows what's going on, and uh, and makes it, it makes it just so much easier when things are rolling. It makes it a little harder sometimes at, at the dinner table when you got to chew some chew your management's ass out and there your kids. Uh, you know, it makes for some awkward moments, but it works out.
0: Hey, man, it's better than hitting their fingers with a stitch, so it's progress. <laughs> it it's a lot than, of
1: progress. I never all. got to hit with a stick. I'll, I'll give him that.
0: All right, man. <laughs> Kendall, listen, folks, you can find Kendall online. He's on Twitter. Uh, he will not hold back on uh, the takes he throws out there when he feels like it. And go listen to, go listen to his records, and go see him when he comes through town to play. And uh, hey, man, great to see you. Hope I see you soon.